City Church. If you're new here with us today, thank you for being uh, with us. We welcome you. Um, for everybody else, thank you for being here today. We're so happy, so excited that you're here um, just to worship with us, to get to know us, and just to, to, to do all of this stuff together. That's, that's the most important thing. Um, today, uh, I don't know if a lot of you know this, but today is actually Pentecost Sunday. Uh, for those of you who were here with us last year, we kind of did a little service about it. Um, for those of you who weren't here, um, basically today we just were celebrating um, when the Holy Spirit came to be our guide and comforter, basically. Um, when Jesus died and when he left um, to ascend back into heaven, he said, I'm going to leave you here with someone, a guide, a comforter, the Holy Spirit who will lead you, who will guide you who will um, replace me in, in um, helping, helping you uh, with your decisions in your everyday life, helping to comfort you through times of hardship and trial, to, to be my spirit, to be my presence, to be with you through all the days of your life. And 
the people in the Bible, and they gathered in the upper room, and they prayed, and they sought after God, and they just, they really pressed into the Spirit of God because they were so hungry for Him. They so missed the presence of God. They so missed that presence that Jesus brought with Him. And so today, let's remember that as we enter into worship, just how desperate those people were for the presence of God. We should be, that's that desperate in our lives today. He's so accessible to us, and yet sometimes we take that for granted. He's right here, and yet sometimes we just, we can do it on our own. And uh, so today I encourage you, just invite the Holy Spirit to lead you, to be your guide, to be your comfort in your life. Amen? Let's worship today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. 
experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your Jesus. 
Let's sing the chorus one last time. take a seat. We're so happy to have you guys with us today. I know God is going to do an amazing work. My name is Trent, uh, a part of the family here at Hill City, and we're so excited to have everyone here today. I just want to welcome you again. This week, just in, in my reading and what God's been saying, if we can go ahead and have the ushers come up. Um, God has been showing me about, about sacrifice, but, but in that sacrifice, um, he's good even when we aren't. I was reading about Abram becoming Abraham, and God gives him a, a vision, a revelation, and a covenant with him. And Abram tries to do it on his own. And, and God gives us a plan a purpose in our life, and we try to figure it out on our own a lot of times. And so I want you to look at Abraham as an example. He, God, God told him, I will make your generations countless, but he tried to make it on his own. 
instead of trusting God's plan. Come on. And I want you to look at that not only in your life, but in your finances as well. God calls us to trust him with our finances, to put our first fruits to him. And it's a sacrifice. Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness when he took Isaac to the altar and he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. But God stopped him and provided a way. God's going to do the same thing in your life when you trust him. But if you don't trust him, you're not going to be able to see it. Abraham wouldn't have been able to see that God was going to provide unless he took that step. So I want you to take a step of faith today with God's spirit that he's going to come through, that he's going to speak to you today, but he's also going to provide for you. So pray with me. Lord, we want to just meet you today we want your spirit to intercede with us, Lord, so that we can hear a new word from you for this week and for this next coming season in life. God, we trust you today with our finances, with our time, and with our whole life, Lord. It's our first step back towards you because you made the first step to us. So, Lord, we just want to see you work today. So we thank you that all you're going to do Amen. Good morning. Talk amongst yourselves just for a moment. Just for a moment. Let me look for this. I'll be back. I'll be back. I'm not leaving. Tell, tell your neighbor I really like your jacket because it's supposed to be summer, but it's super cold. Yeah, beautiful jacket you're wearing today. Good morning, Jack. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah. What happened to the weather? I know you don't want to talk about the weather. What happened? It was so nice, and now we get this. I was like, what's, it's, it's the weekend. You're right. Every weekend it rains. It rains. But good morning. Welcome. If you're a guest, thank you for being here. My name is John. Just really glad that you guys are here. I'm going to put up a little uh, slide for next week. We're having just a potluck next week. We're just coming together to eat. Who likes eating? Anyone like eating, right? Yeah. I, I, obviously, obviously, this, this form has not taken place without much eating, right? But uh, it's just look right there. If your last names go at the A to G, H to P, Q to Z, and we're doing this just to come together, to eat together, spend time together. I believe that laughing and eating is very godly, right? It's good stuff that when we come together and we laugh together and we just spend time with one another, I think that is a very, very important, important thing that we do. And so next week, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have some things prepared for you guys, but it's not a, a service or anything like that. We're not going to set up something crazy. We're going to just have some round tables or some, some uh, straight tables. We're going to put food on it, and we're going to talk to each other and get to know one another and uh, just uh, build on relationships. Make sure to invite people. It's just uh, we're in this series called the Neighboring Series, and you can put up that next slide. And we're on part three of the Neighboring Series, and this is a part of it. The potluck is just a part of what we do of bringing people together. And uh, we believe it's really, really important uh, for people who need encouragement, who need community, who need the love of Jesus. And know this, that at the end of the day, you are Hill City Church. Hill City Church is not a group of, it's not a, it's not a building. It's not a place, right? I know it, it is like as an organization, but Hill City Church is just a group of ragtag people who love Jesus, who love one another, and who love this world that we're called to. And so we're going to do that together. And we believe 
that our faith should impact everyone around us for the positive, not for the negative, right? It should impact the people around us. It should impact our community and not just our church people. We're not a church in the city. We're a church for the city. It's for the city and for our neighbors and for those who need you and I, that we are available and we make ourselves available in, uh, and even when it's hard for us. It's not when you feel it, because guess what? You don't feel it sometimes. Who always feels like parenting? Let me tell you who. No one. No one. There are moments you're like, go parent yourself. I'm going upstairs, right? You, they, they will drive you crazy many times, but you, you don't always have to feel it to do the right thing. You don't always have to feel it to be a representative of Christ. And so uh, we're going to pray and we're going to run into this part three of the Neighboring Series. And I'm very, very excited. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know we prayed a bunch of times. But I just pray that we would uh, read your word. Your word would reveal Jesus Christ. And Jesus would change our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. So we believe, honestly, that our faith should impact our life right? It's not something we do on, on Sundays or when, we, or when we watch, I can only imagine at the movie theater, you're like, God is good, right? It's what we do every single day. It's who we are. And so we've been going through this neighboring series and, and we have these things called block maps, right? And they're going to put up that block slide right there. And I want you guys to think about this and fill this out. I know there's been conversations that have been, uh, that have been had in many homes of uh, who's on my block, right? I, we talked about it two weeks ago. you got to own your hood, right? you got to own your hood, your neighborhood. And so who are the eight people in your hood, in your block, around your block? Do you, and some of you guys are teacher's pets. You guys know like 20 people. I'm like, good for you. Good for you. This week, I called this guy by his wrong name. And I, I guess I've been doing it for a long time. And you find that out, too, when you call people by their name. Because on this, I want you guys, if you don't have this, we'll order more of this. Anyone don't have this right here? All right, we'll, we'll, we'll get some more. And you just put it on your fridge, and you start writing down names. Because it's important to know the names of your neighbors, because you can live there for five, six, ten years and not know who your neighbor is. Right? Isn't that true? And they write Next to you, you're like, hey, guy with the chihuahua, right? We talked about it. Hey, hey, it's that lady with the hair thing, right? And uh, that drives the Volvo station wagon, 89. And we know all these things about them, but we don't know their names. But when we take a step to get to know people's names, it's very, very important. And you might have to have an awkward situation because I called someone David, and his name was Daniel, and I've been calling him David for a while. I'm like, hey, David. And, you know, and some of your neighbors are nice. They'll, they'll be like, yeah, nice to meet you, John. I know your name. <laughs> and, and then finally he's like, it's Daniel. It's Danny. I was like, that's what I said, David. No, I'm just kidding. I had to say that. But I was thinking, oh, man, all these years I've lived next to you only six years and called you Daniel. I mean, David, for about six years. Right? And, uh, and so, you know, we're all working on it. But if we, we're doing this because it, it, we're, we're learning how to love our neighbor well. Because that's very, very important to love your neighbor well. And as you fill this out, you put it on your fridge, you're going to start praying for your neighbors, thinking about your neighbors, meeting needs of your neighbors. And, and it's going to happen as you think about it, pray for them. And I just want to say, like, I, I've heard some people doing a great job on this. If you haven't started, it's a good way to start maybe block parties or have dinners. Or, and, but get connected. I'm hearing good 
feedback, good feedback. And, uh, and, and listen, the goal of neighboring is not bringing people to Hill City Church. I'm, I'm going to put that out right, right in the front. The goal, it's cool. Thank you for bringing that. I want you to bring them. But the goal of neighboring is neighboring, right? It's loving your neighbor as yourself. It's loving your neighbor as you would want to be loved. It's a matter of caring about people who are made in the image of God. They're made, they're the, in life, people are the most holy things you will ever see. They are the most special things in life. Yet so, so many times we can turn a blind eye to people because people matter to God and they should matter to us. And, and guess what? Loving takes effort. It does. It really, really takes effort. It takes attention. It takes thinking. It takes praying. And sometimes your neighbor is crazy. And if you feel like all your neighbors are crazy, then you're the crazy neighbor. Just, uh, just throw it out there. If, if you don't like all your neighbors, you got to look within. <laughs> you're like, oh, maybe it's me that's crazy, right? And so it takes effort. It takes praying. And it, it takes this one last word. It takes time. Say time. Time. You might be thinking today, John, how am I going to have time to, uh, to build more relationships, let alone eight more neighbors in my life? Because that's going to take some time. And if you'd be honest, I know you guys live crazy, crazy, at, at this crazy pace of life. When people move to, uh, to the United States from other countries, they're like, they're kind of shocked at our pace of life. Like, that's your pace of life? It sounds crazy. That's, that's how you live? Like, I, I, when, I, when I was uh, in, in Haiti a couple years back, I was just telling them about the pace of life in, in the United States compared to Haiti. Because Haiti is pretty chill, right? It's like people are chill. Like, uh, we, we were having good they when, when you're having a conversation, you sit down. You have a deep conversation. You're like, uh, you don't say, like, we got 15 minutes. Paul, go. Tell me everything. I'll, I'll, I'll give all your answers in the last three minutes, and then we're peace. We're, we're done. No, they take, a, they take deep time. They take a lot of time to make relationships because people are important to one another. And I found that out in most countries, especially in third world countries where you need one another, people are very, very close. And I, I told you about in Ethiopia when you are in an argument like, if we're, if we're fighting, me and you, Cindy, we're, we'll be like, all right, we're going to have to have a coffee ceremony. So they have coffee ceremonies, and they sit there just uh, not, I don't know if they bicker to one another, but they, they work things out, and they'll continue to drink coffee, like, face-to-face until they work it out. I'm like, man, it would be a long time for some of us, right? <laughs> like, one more cup. Who uses the bathroom first loses, right? <laughs> But uh, it was, they have these things that are natural in their pace of life and ceremonies because people matter to one another. And I want to tell you, people matter to God. But I believe time is our biggest obstacle we need to overcome to be effective leaders. Think about that. Let me ask you, are you living at a pace that allows you to be available for those around you? These honest questions. In trying to get the most out of life, are you losing control of your time? Because your time is your life. Your time is your life. And as your schedule goes, your life goes, right? So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, please go to Luke 10. All right. We celebrate the word of God around here. 
And uh, I'm going to explain the start of time. I'm going to use this parable in Luke 10, starting from verse 25 to 37. I'm going to go quickly. And so you can uh, read up there or you can listen to me but let's, or uh, read your word right in front of you. But I'm going to read. On one occasion, an expert in the law, a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's asking about eternal life. And when, and when modern-day readers read this, they think it's just this, like, salvation life, like a one day we will have eternal life. But with the readers of the Hebrews, uh, it was a kingdom life. It was not it was, the eternal life started in regular life, right? They were very connected. They weren't disconnected like we, you and I might think or we grew up like, oh, one day we'll, is heaven. No, like heaven starts now, right? So they, they, their understanding is very different. But he says, how do I inherit eternal life? And he says, uh, Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And this man said, answered, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Say that with me. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. I told you once again uh, that eternal life doesn't start later on. It, turns, it, it starts right now. The kingdom life starts now. And Jesus is saying, you do this and you will start living. You will come alive. You will live life to the fullest as God designed it. It seems that our life with God is very connected with our life with others. Isn't that true? Everywhere in the Bible you see that our life with God is very deeply connected with our life with others. It's like two sides of a coin. They cannot be separated. Our spiritual life cannot be separated from our real life. I'm going to say that again. Our spiritual life cannot be separated from our real life. And I said this in the past. If you would have asked Jesus, like, Jesus, how's your spiritual life going? How's your prayer life going, right? How you doing? He he'd be, he would say to you, "You mean my real life?" Because we say, "Oh, this is my this, I do spiritual things and I do real things." Jesus, in Jesus's mind, it's all one and the same. It's one and the same. Our work life is our spiritual life. Our parenting life is our spiritual life. Our internal battles is our spiritual life. Are we? It, it's uh, it's we're talking about a whole person. But when we have this uh, this idea of dualism, say dualism. Dualism, and I'm going to just explain it. It's this dualistic worldview where we live two different lives. Like, this is my spiritual life that God loves, and this is my normal life that he does not care about. And, 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 and when we think this way, we minimize faith. We minimize what it means to follow Jesus to an hour and 15 minutes to an hour on Sunday or two minutes prayer during meals or watching uh, Christian movies or whatever. We minimize the spirituality. We minimize God as if God did not create this whole natural world and called it good. Think about that for a moment. He He created the world. The whole thing is his. It's spiritual. Yet this idea of dualism is assumed in most American Christianity, just, just honestly speaking. Honestly speaking. It distorts what it means to follow Jesus. And that's probably partially my fault, just to throw it out there. Yeah. Because in, 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 in shaping and in teaching, I, I myself grew up in such a dualistic worldview that it's, it's natural inclination. And I have to f- continue to fight against teaching the wrong way and, and going back into, out of our culture, American culture, and seeing how the biblical culture was made. 
And so think about that for a moment. It distorts the way we, we create this uh, secular, this is secular, and sacred. This is sacred, and it, we create this divide. And the more we divide it, the more wrong we will understand and, and read the word of God. We will. We will. And so, and so I'm just wanting to say, separating spirituality from command, to just uh, God's commands and good morality and Christian stuff, this kind of faith was what Jesus was pointing out in the Good Samaritan, telling this parable. Verse 29. Verse 29. But this lawyer wanted to justify himself. How many times do we justify ourselves? Because, you know, God, you need to understand, I'm, I'm, I have to do this, and I think like this, and this, and this happened. But he justified himself, so he asked Jesus, trying to turn this on Jesus, and he asked, who is my neighbor? We always try to justify ourselves. At least I do, right? I justify myself, right? Because of the gap between my understand, my theology and my reality. Sometimes they don't meet. Sometimes this is Christian stuff and this is not. And when they don't meet in the middle and we, do, and we gap it out, we start to justify how it's okay. Not, not, not knowing that this is not okay, right? So verse 30. So in reply, like Jesus, he tells a story. He's like, okay, I'll tell you a story. A man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by the robbers, and it will always say going down from Jerusalem. And it doesn't mean they're going south, right? It means that Jerusalem was on a hill. So that, that's why in the Bible, they're always going down from Jerusalem. Just, just to point that out to you, all right? They're going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when they were attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And this is messed up. Like, take my stuff, but don't take my clothes and leave me naked, right? I'm like, this is a really messed up moment. I'm like, man. In verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw this man, he passed by the other side. Verse 32, so too a Levite, this church guy, this church worker, and when he came to the place, he saw him, and he passed by the other side. These guys were both very religious, spiritual people, right? God-fearing, God-loving, God-devoted people. And they saw this naked man. And it's already hard when you see a naked man lying in the road. You don't know what to do, right? But these guys are like, oh, I'm going to pray for them, God. Like, take care of them, God. Send someone to take care of them, right? Have you ever prayed for someone? Like, God, like, wants to use you, and you're like, Lord, send someone to really help them. And God's like... You knucklehead. I don't know if God speaks to you like that. That's how he speaks to me. He's like, how about, how about you, John? I'm like, huh, how about me? I, but I don't have any time, <laughs> right? This is what we say, and, and this is what's going on. They were really, like, they were good people. They weren't bad people. They just saw this, they, they saw this man. He's naked. He's robbed. He needs a lot of attention, and I got to do some spiritual things. I got to go to church. I got I to do my spiritual stuff. And, and they were too busy. They said their prayers and went on their way. They could not deal with this mess right now. It didn't fit their time. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, and, and, and if you read the Bible and it says Samaritan ever, it means like people who didn't believe the same way. A non-believer or a different believer who, who didn't believe the way the other people believed. So a non-believer, as he traveled and came where the man was, and when he saw him, sometimes you see people, and other times you really see people, right? I want you to see people. Just take a moment to stop the fast pace and see people. And it says it, he took pity on him. And in the Greek word, I can't say the word, it's too long. But in the Greek word, it means he was moved at the gut level. 
the actual Greek word means he is, he is, it's the word bowel movement. It's kind of a weird word. It just means that you got so sick that you had to do something. Like something hurt on the inside. Like anytime you see the word filled with compassion, that makes sense for Americans. But it, in the Hebrew words, it's, uh, I, I think it's like spontaneo or something like that. And I, I say it wrong. But it means like, ugh, like I feel so sick not doing anything about this. Like this is so wrong. And he says he was sick to his stomach and he felt so sick that he went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine on him, just anesthetic. And then he took this man on his own donkey, his Toyota Prius, and brought him to the Holiday Inn, right? And took care of him. The next day he took out his money to Denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expenses that you have. He's saying, I got this. I got this. And there's three steps that this man took. And I want us to write this down. If you can write this down or you can text it to yourself. Step one, he saw him. I know you heard this before, but it's sometimes we don't see people. Because they might look different or, or different to us, believe different, or, or we just don't have time to see people. I think a lot of times we don't see people, not because we don't want to see people, but we have... We're seeing something else. I'm, I'm like a single focused person. It's very hard for me to do two things, three things at once, right? I'm just like, all right, this is all I can do. And then I'm done. This is all I can do. I'm done. It drives my wife crazy, all right? But that's how I'm made. That's how I'm made. But he saw him. He saw his need. He saw his humanity. His humanity. This one, this one was someone's father, someone's husband, someone's son someone's brother, and he was moved. It got him sick in spite of his busyness that this was more important than what he had to do. And, and number two, he crossed the street. He crossed the street. At the cost of his own time, his own schedule, his comforts, it's uncomfortable to help. Have you ever been on this side of the street and you see a need on that side of the street and you're like, but I have groceries. <laughs> Or you have something, I need to fix my bike, or I need to mow my lawn. And, and, and they're like, uh, you see like your, and your, neighbor's, uh, your neighbor, and she's like moving giant bricks, and you're like, I think she's strong enough to do that. She has gloves on, right? And, but I'm busy. I'm busy, God. You know me. I'm busy. I know maybe she's doing that for a workout. I don't know. Well, whatever we justify ourselves, but when we see the need, there's something we got to do. We got to see them. And number two, we got to cross the street. And obviously he was busy. He wasn't walking down. He had his donkey. He was trying to get somewhere quickly. And number three, he paid the price. In any relationship that is meaningful, you pay the price. You pay the price of schedule. You pay the price of time. Sometimes you pay for dinner. Sometimes you take care of them. Sometimes they take care of you. It's this mutual, beautiful, price-paying relationship, but he paid the price of care. It was his bandages, his oil, his wine, his donkey, his cash for the Holiday Inn. He paid the price so that this stranger could be made well. I want you to remember that. He paid the price so this stranger could be made well, and this is what he had in his capacity to do. You're, and uh, I'm going to kind of go off topic, but your capacity, what is your capacity? 
We, some of us, we want to be compassionate, but we don't have the capacity to be compassionate, right? But what has God already placed in you? What are the gifts that you have in your life, the talents that you have in your life, the possessions that you have in your life, the time that you have in your life? These are all things under capacity, right? This is my capacity of what I can do. And your capacity has to match your compassion. Your capacity, what God has placed in your life was for your compassion. If you're good at fixing computers, fix computers, man, and do it to the glory of God. Help people out. If you're good at lawn, at the lawn, I just want to, and Phil's not here. I, I talked about my lawn two weeks ago, how nasty it is, and all my neighbor's yards are nice and green. G- guess on that same day, someone came to my house, seeded my lawn, put manure down, and then uh, and tilled all the places that were messed up. And I was like, I didn't ask them to do that. And they're like, I would lo- I'm just glad to do it. This was, I have capacity. I know how to do this, and you do not. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, I was like, this is true. And, but then I, it made me want to try, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm doing no good. I'm doing no good. I'll ask more questions. But our capacity has to, has to move into our compassion. At some point, we have to pay the price. This guy paid the price of his bandages, his wine, his oil, and his transportation, and his money. And I love this last verse of 2036. Jesus then asked, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to this man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Do that. Do that. Really see people cross the street, pay the price. And as you actively listen to the heart of God, you will see God move. If you, when you start living for God and others, you will start coming alive. When a lot of us, we're looking for purpose outside of God and people, and it just doesn't fulfill long term. It just, we're not made that way. There's a certain design that humanity has made, and it's really weird. It's like when you're carrying a burden and of unforgiveness or things that are frustrating you, and then you go up to like, and, and then we, I spend time with Randy. I'm like, man, these things are things I'm dealing with. And as I put my burden on Randy, it starts to level out, and we begin to get health. Because relationship, people, and, and God are so important to living life fully that's how god designed it we weren't supposed to carry things alone community was how god designed it and so jesus is like do that go do likewise and as you actively listen to the heart of god you start to come alive and you start to see god's favor god's blessings god's wisdom and god's compassion come alive in you and jesus is showing us to he's showing us how to really live This full life that he's talking about, the way he designed it, was life together, that we need each other. And now, Jesus, how do we do this in Thornton, Colorado, working at Olive Garden or driving a truck or working in the office or at home? And I, I believe it starts with understanding our time. There's just one point that I have today, and it's teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. Maybe it's, uh, it's that Tim McGraw song. What is that song called? Live Like You Were Dying, right? I'm sure he didn't write it, but he's a good-looking dude, and he can sing well, right? But live like you were dying. In Psalms 90, 12, it says this. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 
I'm going to say that again. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Our time is a limited resource. It really is. Our time is limited, and yet many of us spend time like it's going to be like this forever, like we're going to have our kids forever. And some of you guys know that's not true. We're going to have one another forever. We're going to have this job forever. We're going to have our parents forever. But the truth is our time is limited. You are only 20 one time. You are in your 30s one time. You're in your 40s one time. It's just, it is limited to these moments. And, and we, how do we use it best to what matters most? And what I want to do, I want to start from the, from the end to the beginning, to see our life from the end to, be, to the beginning, to see where you want to go, to what you want to accomplish, and then you want to rewind that. What do I need to do now to get there? Because it doesn't just happen, right? We don't just become, we don't just become mature out of nowhere just because we're getting older. You could be 50 and still really immature. Isn't that true? And, and like, I'm like, you could be 38 and be really immature because maturity doesn't come with age. It just doesn't. Maturity comes with, with a discipline. It becomes, because I think one of the things that we lack, uh, I shouldn't say we, I and many of us, this is better, right? This is, I and you, no, it's kidding, is, is a, a self-awareness. We are not aware of our emotional brokenness. And we think that emotional brokenness and our past and dealing with sin it is not related to our maturity with God. I want to tell you that your emotional being, your emotional part of your life is, is just as spiritual as your prayer life and as your Bible reading life. So if this, this emotional side doesn't match with our spiritual understanding, then there's a lack of maturity. I think there's still a growth in me that, we're, we're, that I still need to move through. I want to tell you a story about Bonnie Ware. She was an Australian nurse who spent years caring for patients the last 12 weeks of her life. She was a hospice nurse, and many of her patients approached these final days, and she would ask these questions, and she wrote a book about these questions. If they had regrets or they, things they would do differently, and she wrote this book of common answers. And here's the top two regrets that people have. You ready? <laughs> this is, you're like, this is negative, John. I know. I know. This is the top two regrets looking at life from the end to the beginning. Number, uh, the first regret, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. A lot of people say that at the end of life. This came from almost every male patient and some female patients. But almost every male patient said, I wish I didn't work so hard. And it is because of the generation of men that were generally breadwinners back then. Now it's all of us, right? Because it's very hard to live in Colorado and, uh, and not be working. They miss their children's youth, uh, their partner's companionship. Women spoke of, of regret too. And she wrote, all of the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much time of their lives on this treadmill of work existence. They thought they had more time, but by the time they had time, it was too late. It was too late. I, I talked to my mom, uh, and, uh, and she has, um, uh, she's dealing with cancer, and she's had it for several years now. And it's interesting to talk to my mom now, knowing that at any time it could be the end, right? And, uh, and she says, this is so funny, John, and she's always trying to give me money, which is really weird. She says, when I was your age, I needed money, and now I have money, and I don't need it. <laughs> and, she's like, <laughs> and she's like, what am I doing? 
And it was just really, really interesting. Like her perspective of life is really flipping quickly because she's at the end and she knows it. And she knows it. And so when we spend time or when we drink coffee, we're not sitting there just drinking coffee. When I take her, she came a couple weeks ago, and when I take her out to go somewhere, we're not just like just going somewhere to going somewhere. Every moment is very deep. Every moment is very real because we understand the time is at hand, right? Time is at hand. And it's, I'm like, God, why can't I live like this always? It's because I schedule in such a crazy way. I live in such a crazy way that I don't understand that, uh, that we don't have one another forever, that our relationship in this moment might not be like this forever. So take care of it. Take care of it. And, and, and number two, number two, it says, I wish... I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And she wrote in this book, this was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over, they look back clearly on it, and it's easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to their choices that they made or not made. Health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. And some of you understand that very, you guys understand that deeply. Now knowing this, how do we live now? How do we live now? How do we set our current pace with our current priorities, with God, family, and people? Doing the same thing and hoping for a different outcome is crazy. It's called insanity, right? It's insanity when you do the same thing. You're like, not me. And it's not me. It's like, I say it's like 19-year-olds in love, right? They say our love is different than anyone else's. And then we say, that's what we all said, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a, we think, not me, not me, not us, not, not, not us. And, and the truth is, it's not true. It's not true. And, and don't do the same thing, hoping for a different outcome. Right now, some of you, us, we're already justifying in our minds how our life is okay, right? And how our pace is okay. How are we, how, how we're different. But are we doing the basic of what, we, what brings us life? Loving God and loving your neighbors as yourself. This is the secret of being alive. That's what Jesus said. And let me tell you why this is so important to me. Because in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we are not the priest. We are not the Levite, and we are not even the Samaritan. We are the man robbed, beaten, left on the road, naked on the side of the road, left for dead. Yet God saw us and saw our mess, saw our pain, saw our sin, saw our busyness, saw the way we had lived life, and he's, and he's reached out so that he could save us from ourselves, save us from our sin. Uh, and when we were not even in love with God, when we were not for God, God still came after us, sent his son so that he crossed the street, crossed heaven, and moved into your neighborhood, that grace would, would come to your life, that God crossed the street, and he paid the price for our healing. It cost him everything, death on a cross, so that he could heal our heart and so that he, we can deliver this message today. It's only by grace we are saved. Now with this hope and with this motivation for others in mind, with this in mind, how can we close our eyes and pass people by knowing that Jesus did not pass us by? And I'm not saying you can do it for everyone, 
But there's people that God will move your heart for. And when he does, make a move. Make a move. I pray today that the Spirit of God would open our eyes and open our heart and that apathy would turn into empathy and that passion would turn into compassion and that knowing would turn into doing. And as we close today, I want to remind us that salvation, knowing Jesus, is not the end, but it's always the beginning. It's the beginning. Christianity is not escapism. It's entering into this life deeper than you've ever have before. Stop watching people on the dance floor of life and faith, being all self-conscious, wondering if you can dance like that, if you can do that for your life. I just want you to ask, there's some part of all of us that just wants to jump in but feels like we can't. It's like middle school dance, right? We all sit on one side and stare at each other. Sometimes you got to be the kid that gets on the dance floor and breaks that. And in the same way, some of us, we need to start crossing the street. And we, if not everyone's doing it, you do it. If they're not doing it back to you, who cares? Do it again. Sometimes we've got to pick up garbage twice, right? When it's not hard. When it, when it is hard, when we don't have time. Sometimes we've got to set the standard when no one else is doing it. As I, let's stand today. I want to read one more verse over you in Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, this is what Jesus read over himself. And he reads over the church of Jesus Christ. He says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Holy Spirit has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim to the captives that they will be released and the prisoners will be freed. He sent me, say me, to tell those who mourn that it's the time of the Lord's favor has come on their life within with it and the day of the anger against their enemies that there is a one day a big day coming this is the outcome of loving God who saw us who crossed the street and paid the price and loving people as ourselves. that we to be good news to be kingdom delegates to be bring heaven down that is that is our role we bring we make it more like heaven wherever we are man where, if it's on our block, if it's in our workplace, if it's on our family, if it's, if it's to the guy that everyone hates because he drives people crazy, you still bring heaven down. You do. And, I, and, and, and you know what? You're, you're, you and I, we're different. We have, we have access to different people, to different lives. But it's crazy where God places you. And, and, the, oh, and he opens doors. Just walk through some of these doors. He'll, walk, he'll open doors to people's lives. It was funny. This week, I was at this Hungarian guy's house. And, and, he, and he invited me over for dinner. And he cooked Korean food. And it was one of the best Korean. I'm like, dude, I'm at a Hungarian's house eating Korean food. And this is the best Korean food I've eaten all year. It was, a, it was a weird moment. And I was asking him, and we were just talking. We were talking, and he was like, and I was like, oh, you know, we were talking about relationships and friendships. And he was like, man, if I needed help in my backyard and I had to call people, I don't know who I would call. There's no one in my life that I could call. And I was like, man, that's tough. And we talked about the deepness, how people need deep relationships. And I know you're busy. I know you're going to school and you have work and you have kids. But you have to make room for deep relationships. You do. Or you feel, and I don't want you to be like my friend. And I, I said, man, you could call me over. That's what I told him. 
But in the same way, I feel like some of us, we might feel this way. I don't even know who to call if I'm crying and I can't, I can't even deal with my own emotions or, or, or I'm going through pain or I lost somebody or I just need someone to talk to. I'm losing my mind. And I, I don't want you to ever feel alone. And, and it takes you maybe seeing people and starting to cross the street first before people cross over to open their doors to you. God, teach us to number our days, to see what matters most, to be beautiful neighbors, God. As you leave today, just bow your heads for a moment. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. As you leave today, just in these areas, first, am I living at a pace that I have room, that I have no room for you, God, and for people? Ask that question to yourself. Am I living at such a crazy pace that I have no room for God and people? And if so, God, help me. (laughs) Change my heart. Let my heart break for the things that break yours. And finally, third, God, what are you calling me to stop so I can make room in my life to start? And these are big, big questions. And I know this sounds so simple to say, but I know it's very difficult to do because I was trying to do this in my own life this week. I'm like, ugh. But it starts with asking yourself some honest questions. I hope that you don't leave here and this is just another lame just moment, a message. You're like, okay, that's good. We justify ourselves. But I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to your heart right now and put in place what is most important God and people that will bring your life to the full so you can do the rest of your life in a, ma- in a beautiful way. Heavenly Father, I pray for people in this room right now, Lord God. There are people that uh, have stood in here, Lord God, and we need people, and we know that we're getting just bitter inside, God. We start getting bitter at people, bitter at your church, bitter at you, and, and it's the reason is because we're not known, God. We're not loving our neighbors as ourselves, but we're just not known. And no one knows us. And when we, no one knows us, we start to shrivel, Lord God, in our hearts, Lord God. So I pray right now, bring healing in this room, Lord God. Bring healing to people's hearts, Lord God. And let them get to know your love, Lord God. But your love cannot be kept alone. It must go out. It must cross the street. It must pay the price. So I pray over Hill City Church this week, Lord God. For next week, we are just opening up a place just with food, Lord God, and spending time together. And I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that we would be active in inviting our neighbors to our homes, Lord God, to this place, just opportunities to love you and love people. Let's do that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. I hope that you get to meet some people, but give God praise. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you for coming, and hope to see you next week. And we're just going to eat together.